Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings. And slither in place. Because this is Snakebird. Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today as we launch right back into part three of our profile on the prolific Father Abraham. That's right, guys. Part three in this saga of Abraham, who we will finally get to call in this episode, Abraham. That's right. It's been Abram, which we've been messing up the whole time. And um, so far, God has made promises and a covenant with Abram, Abraham now, leading him from the time he was called um, from this land 24 years to the point that we're going to sit here in this next uh, portion. Mm -hmm. And the last thing we saw in the story, Abram and Sarah had taken some action into God's plan that led to the birth of Ishmael, which was not a part of the plan. But nevertheless, God, as faithful as he is, promises even to bless that child, even though he was a product of doubt. And while it may seem like we're jumping right back into the story from chapter 16 to 17, keep in mind that 13 years have passed between these two chapters. No doubt Abram had to tap into much faith as he waited yet again for this promised son who would give him so many descendants. And that's pretty much what I remember from the last episode. Josh, is there anything else we need to recap before jumping into 17? I don't think so. If you really want a recap, just go ahead and listen to part two yeah. and then come right back and listen uh, right here as we jump into part three. There it is. So um, should we just read the first portion of 17 here, Josh, to kick us in? I think that's a good idea. Okay. So verse one, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. Bingo! I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and to be the God of your descendants after you the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God <sighs> a lot of promises mm -hmm. there there's a lot of things God is uh, reminding and uh, informing Abram, Abraham, <laughs> there it is. It's going to be reversed now. Yeah. But reminding Abraham that is coming. Yeah. Yeah. 13 years of silence, 13 years where there's not a recorded interaction between God and Abram. So, yeah. And Abraham now, of course. But I mean, what has happened during this time? I don't know. Unless, unless it just wasn't recorded in scripture, it seems to be a time of silence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what I was thinking about is like, was there a communication that just didn't get listed in the Bible? Yeah. For some reason, I tend to believe there wasn't. Yeah. And, you know, it's really a merciful thing that God does here. He has this way about him where he, he gives us the information, um, that we need at the time and then mm -hmm. expounds on it. And this is one of those moments where he repeats and then he expounds. And, you know, most would never take that first step if they were able to see everything all at once. And God's, he's really merciful in how he's uh, slowly revealing these things to Abraham. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, after 
probably 13 years of silence. I That was kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. And, you know, when you feel like maybe what he did with Hagar and then having Ishmael may have been a misstep, his first interaction with God, you almost feel like it's going to be sort of a corrective um, lecture. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, well, can we talk for a little bit about what you did? Yeah. And God doesn't do that at all. He comes in and he just first and foremost reaffirms his promises and his covenants to Abram. Or, ah, I'm going to do it now. Well, he hasn't changed his name when we're first talking about what he <laughs> But even then he comes and he reveals a new nature about himself with his new name. He's never said this name before. It's the first time it's listed. It's El Shaddai. Yes. And it means most powerful or the almighty or another um, commentator said it means um, like a nurturer. Like I want you to, to pull from me and I want you to grow in me as you, as you nurture under my wing. Yeah. And it's, it's like a milestone here. Um, that new name and also the name that Abraham gets too. Yes. Becoming Abraham. Um, we know that part of that, that title is a covenantal statement. Abram meaning exalted father and Abraham meaning father of a nation yeah. or a multitude. Yeah. So we almost have a both, both things going on at once. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. He says, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Yeah. And, we know that blameless can mean a couple of different things. For first and foremost, it can mean sinless. But another way that it can be um, translated is mean whole. And I feel like in this case, God is saying, walk before me and be whole because of who you are in me and what I am in you. Like whole in me mm-hmm. type of thing? Yeah, yeah. Like complete. Okay. Perfect. And like you complete me. <laughs> Kind of deal? Yeah, Kinda? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, and, I took it cheesy. But well, okay, Jerry McGuire. <laughs> Walk before me and be whole, because that's what God offers, is he offers fulfillment in this life. And I maybe that's something that he was even acknowledging in the quest for Ishmael, yeah. is fulfillment, is wholeness, is like Abraham saying, hey, I'm going to help you along with this promise that you've made me. And God says, hey, I have the ability in and of myself to make you whole. Yeah. And, yeah. and then it gets really ironic because he changes his name of father of many or exalted father to father of many nations. Yeah. And uh, he still hadn't had the one yet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The right one anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And and even then he says, I am uh, calling you now Abraham. Your name shall now be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. And in God's eyes, this is already past tense. This is done. Yeah. And, and of course, no Isaac yet. We didn't, I mean, Abraham can't see, you know, uh, a couple more years into the future when Isaac's going to be born. Yeah. And, you know, this this change of, of name also reminds me of a scene that we see in John fifteen fifteen, where Jesus says to his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Mm. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And it's almost a goosebump situation for me because of the connection between these two scenes, God's original covenant with Abraham, and then 2,000 years later when God in the flesh brought that covenant all the way through, and in the next step of his plan, not only gives his apostles a new title, but the Gentiles are also given a new name in Jesus. 
Yeah. And it's almost like this, uh, you've been walking with God and it's this milestone of, we know each other on a different level now. Yeah. Really yeah. cool. And I still feel like Abram or Abraham at this point could kind of have a bit of a sheepish mind about his name, because here's what one person said. There was no doubt a sense in which Abram, father of many, was a hard name to bear for a man who was a father of none, especially in a culture where inquiry about one's personal life was a courteous practice. Now God went a step further and made his name father of many nations. It's almost preposterous for a childless man to have such a name. <laughs> yeah, it's like this. It's got this feel to it that it's yeah. almost like a burden. Yeah. Like a boy named Sue, so John Wayne might it, say. It doubled down. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I know it was bad, but yeah. it's going to be great at the end. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get worse here. <laughs> it's like a weakling named Muscles. You know, yeah. it just doesn't make sense. And yeah. yet God is like, I'm going to make this make sense. He is. And it's almost like he's, it's like a, a mind, not a, a mind game. That's totally not what I'm looking for, but a mind strengthening technique mm-hmm. in Abraham's mind. He's like, I'm promising these things and they don't feel like they're coming to fruition, but yeah. just you wait. Well, and I'm going to, I think that's going to be one of my application points is that God sees us for who he knows we're going to be, mm. not for who we think we are. Uh-huh. And there is that, that portion of him speaking over us the things that he sees in us even though we're going uh uh-uh, uh uh uh-uh, that's not true Man, sounds like we got some very close application okay <laughs> <laughs> wow that's good though yeah that's good yeah we're, we're reading the same book <laughs> <laughs> there it is there, yeah but uh yeah just a really really cool thing to see mm-hmm and then, um, not so cool, <laughs> maybe, uh, is the, the next portion, uh, the topic of circumcision. Uh, yeah, and I, I almost laughed out loud when I came to this portion of Scripture because I thought back to the ratifying of the covenant when all Abram did was fall into a deep sleep. And God covered both parts by walking the pieces of the animals himself. And now we see that Abram does need to do something that God's requiring. Yes. And I wonder at this point if Abram is thinking to himself, Lord, is there any way I could just go back and walk through the pieces myself, you know, (laughs) and maybe we don't have to do this because I could do that. That's funny. (laughs) And so um, it's it's a new thing that God is going to be requiring, we see, for all the males under Abram's roof for generations to come. Um, it's going to be the sign of the covenant that was made between them. Mm, yeah. I thought like the same thing where it's like, can't we just do another sacrifice? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's going to, it's going to kind of be. <laughs> there, there will be a sacrifice, huh? And I, I do, I kind of want to hark on this circumcision idea for just a minute. Um, one thing to consider is that circumcision was a cutting away of the flesh, which is a major theme in the New Testament in relation to putting away the flesh of our old nature, mm-hmm. which is just such a, it's like a clear window of insight that God's preparing into the future. Just very cool thing there. But when I hear the word circumcision, I instantly think of the Old Testament in the law. And we know from the New Testament that the law was a tutor to teach us of our inability to meet the requirements of righteousness on our own. And circumcision was a big part of that law. But the law wasn't around at the time of Abraham. And one thing this act of circumcision represented was separation. And Abraham was called out to be separated and distinguished from all the pagan people around him, circumcision being the physical sign of that separation. 
And um, one thing that I've realized is the extreme importance of keeping the proper balance between the physical and inner signs of what circumcision really represents. And I believe, believe it or not, that this is a discussion of faith and works 2,000 years before the Apostle James married the two in his own writings. Mm. It's a really deep concept. Could people think these these sacraments and these rituals that they did in the Old Testament, and you read by it, and you're like, circumcision. There's actually some deep theological meanings behind this. And I have a little more. Is there anything you want to add in that, Josh? Keep going. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll cut in eventually. So God is giving... The, <laughs> God what I see is giving the works of circumcision with a later reality that the physical must be followed with the interchange. The Old Testament case in point, right here in Genesis 17, 14, God says, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And also in Exodus 4, 24 through 26, God was prepared to kill because the physical aspect of circumcision was overlooked. Yet God shows us the heart side of the coin in Deuteronomy 10.16, where he says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. So I think we need to remember that even in the Old Testament, God was about the physical work offered by us and us surrendering to the change of the heart accomplished by him. And I personally believe that the New Testament contains the same God with baptism as the new circumcision per the Great Commission and the new creation emerging as we surrender through repentance and belief. And these are works in faith that cannot be separated from what I read. And obviously, as we progress in our sanctification, we understand these truths with greater and greater depth and, and links. But at the very least, I really enjoyed this this portion because of all of the deep connections, Old Testament, New Testament, and even beyond. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when we talked about baptism and we asked, is it a New Testament picture of Old Testament circumcision? And we said, well, yes and no, it it, it has its ties. And then at, at for me at times, it fell a little short of the direct analogy. But uh, I did write this down in my notes that it really literally is an outward sign of an inward reality. Mm-hmm. And um, this was a direct instruction from God. Abraham didn't need to pray about it. He didn't need to grow or transition to into it. He, God said to do it, and he did it. Yeah. And this is a wonderful example of obedience from a great man of faith. And that's what I appreciate uh, so much about this, because you talk about faith and works. Yeah. And here is the beauty of it, is that we, uh, in part two, we talked about um Genesis 15, 6, and it says, and he believed in the Lord and he, that being God counted to him for righteousness, counted it to him for righteousness. And that's where I appreciate it is in the same case that James would make about faith and works is that faith came first Mm -hmm. and before circumcision, the sign of the covenant and before Isaac, the fulfillment of the promise, faith came first. Otherwise, yeah circumcising to be saved would be a work of salvation. Yes, and and I just think we need to tread really carefully with these things being snake birds because, as I said in Exodus 4.24, God was prepared to kill because the work wasn't done. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not a one or the other. They must be married, and um, it's a snake bird. It's a snake bird thing, but it, it's and it's tempting to get on one side or the other, but to balance them is key, I think. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's what I saw in circumcision. Really, really cool. Yeah, and I I thought it was interesting that 
um, it was a known uh, practice in the world at that time. It was um, a practice that various people groups had, and it actually had a lot of medical and hygienic um, benefits. Yeah. Uh, they even did a study, I think, as late as 1949 and 1954 that showed that uh, cervical cancer in Jewish women were low because of husbands that had had this procedure. And so a lot of people talk about like God knew what he was doing with the children of Israel saying, hey, there are things that you need to watch out for, diseases and things that this can actually help you um, stay away from. But much more than any hygienic or medical reason, this really was the the picture of cutting away the flesh yeah, and and putting no trust in the flesh. And, uh, and I love that Abraham could have been like, you want me to do what? Remember, <laughs> I need this thing to make a son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that's where, you know, we have to come back to the fact that it's about trust and faith because for Abraham to do this, not only did he have to show that he trusts in the God of the covenant, he also had to trust that God was going to protect them because as we saw later on in Genesis, when a whole people group decided to circumcise themselves, it left them extremely vulnerable for a few days. Yes. And so his whole fighting crowd, you know, his group of mighty merry men were probably not that merry at that time. No. After receiving this, uh, probably without any type of uh, anesthesia surgery. And so I, I just know that circumcision is such an important thing. And I really appreciate the Old Testament picture of a New Testament principle. Yes, absolutely. It's really cool because God, he gives us windows and it certainly did there. Yes, and um, I guess the next thing I have is the cool fact that Sarai gets her name changed as well. Yep. Um, chapter 17, verse 15. Abraham is, or Abram is now Abraham. Sarai is now Sarah, mm-hmm. which both are, are more comfortable to say now. <laughs> yes. And um, we'll see Sarah uh, referred to as the mother of nations and that she is still in the plan to be uh, the mother of Abraham's son that this is going to go through. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I found that Sarai meant my princess, kind of like singular. Yeah. And then, of course, Sarah means princess of many. Another commentator I read said that Sarai means contentious. <laughs> and uh, and then Sarah means princess. So I thought that was really interesting. And, of course, you know, if you do any study on the Bible and changing names, there's a lot of really neat names that have been changed throughout Scripture, like Jacob to Israel and uh, Peter, uh, he was Cephas and now he's Peter and then Saul to Paul. There's yeah. a lot. And, and even Revelation says we're going to receive our own name that only God knows. Yeah. Uh, so I, I find all of that really cool. That is really cool. I love, I love the transition of names as well. And um, we see that Abraham falls face down again in laughter and says, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? And so he is, uh, he's now a hundred yes. and, um, Sarah bearing a child at 90, uh, is what we're looking at here. And Abram said to God, if, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing, hmm. he's like, let's just use this Avenue. This is going to be 
Even if it works out, this is going to stink. <laughs> well, I feel like he's like a proud dad that brings a son and he's like, wait, look, God, I got one already. Yeah. And, and I wanted to clarify something because we talked about how Abraham is going to live to 175. So I was saying, hey, is he having a midlife crisis, you know, going through this um, maidservant uh, idea to have Ishmael? Mm-hmm. And the way that scripture is reading is that it's not common for them to have a baby at this age. Uh, almost like it's unheard of. Yeah. And so, I mean, at 190, you know, no matter what's going on in their lives, this is old. Yeah. Well, and you could think of it too, with us at a 120 being the max mm-hmm. nowadays, um, even at 60. Well, I, no more I mean, than that, yeah. yeah, but even at, I'm saying even at 40, that people look at that as that's a little old to be having kids. That's true. So it's I, that makes sense yeah. that that would be the case. I think any woman that gets pregnant over like 37 or 38, they the problematic OBGYN calls them a geriatric mother. Yeah. Which is... Um, there, there's more chances for things to go wrong um, yeah. in certain cases. Yeah. So it's, it's just a mean term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, I think Abraham's like Ishmael. Remember him? I took I took care of this. Yeah, um, because Abraham seemed to misunderstand God's promise, and uh, it's because God's promise was beyond what he was able to comprehend when it came to possibilities. And I like what I read with one person. It's kind of like what we do when we make a mess and all of a sudden we're holding it up to God and we're like, bless my mess, bless it. (laughs) And and God says, it's, it's yours. And I love Ishmael. I'm going to take care of him because he's your son. He's just not the son of promise. Yeah. God's plan for Isaac is to fulfill his covenantal promises through his bloodline. Mm-hmm, exactly. And um, he's not throwing, as we said before, Ishmael to the wolves. He's he's going to end up being the father of 12 rulers and a great nation will come from him. Mm-hmm. We see right there in that portion, which I find really, really interesting. Did not have the time to get into the fact 12 rulers, 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. I think there's something going on there. Yeah. Didn't have time to get into it, but... Pretty cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll skip over that idea, and the next scene we have is one of great wailing. No doubt a pain so great that it was likely heard among the surviving giants from the great battle of kings back in chapter 14. <laughs> and the reason is because we see that Abraham is now obeying the command of God to circumcise every male under his roof. Yes. It was, I bet you could hear that for miles. <laughs> High pitched. Yeah, the first cut is the deepest. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh yeah, we see uh, at at ninety nine, mm. Abraham and Ishmael at thirteen are both going to be circumcised together with everyone else mm-hmm. that day. Yeah, you know something about you saying ninety nine years old. I was thinking of those folks in the Christian walk who might say, "Well, I'm." I've been doing the same thing or not even in necessarily the Christian walk. Maybe it's somebody who has never gotten saved, but God's really trying to reach their heart. And they say, well, I've been doing things my way this whole time and I can't change. And I feel like Abraham is a great example of someone to point to here that it's never too late to change, to embrace something new. Um, because if you say I'm too old to change, no, you're not. Abraham has entered the chat. You know, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me tell you my story because at 99, do you think I want to just take a hard ride here? And and well, that's a good point because I mean, that's a big, that's a big 
procedures. No, I mean, not being funny at all. That's yeah. a big procedure to agree to at that age. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, I think of totally not the same apples to apples, but I think of like when I hear someone in their 70s or 80s that go back to college or something. Mm-hmm. You, you know, there's, there's never with God... Um, Anything is possible. Yes. So to your point, I I agree very well. And I know that this is something that can get lampooned a lot by non-believers. Like, uh, just to let you know, Sarah, I heard from God and uh, there's something that he wants me to do. And she's like, what, honey? And he, well, he wants me to cut off part of my, you know, and I mean, yes, it sounds silly. But when you look at what it means, both in the context of the Old Testament and in the principles of the New Testament, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Even if it is a sensitive subject. Yes. But at the end of the day, Abraham and his family were, in fact, they were separated from all other peoples (laughs) and uh, emerged a cut above the rest. Oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Had to do it? Had to do it. That was the last one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I did want to say this, and it it does take a lot of faith for him to, to agree to do this, but it takes even greater faith to deny our flesh. And I appreciate, like I said before, Abraham could have been like, well, let's just have a sacrifice and said that should be pleasing to God. But I was thinking of 1 Samuel 15, 22, where Saul had been called to kill all the Amalekites. And then Samuel arrives on the scene and he hears these sheep bleeding and he finds out that King Agag is still alive. And he goes, what are you doing? And and Saul's like, well, I was just going to make a sacrifice. And Samuel ends up saying, hey, obedience is better than a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with Abraham... He just shows extraordinary obedience here, especially in light of a circumstance that most of us guys just don't want to think about. It's not something that we would love to have happen to us. And yet here he says, okay, God, I know that you're asking me to fulfill my end of this uh, portion of obedience and I'm going to do it. Yeah. And clearly, clearly this is not something that some con man trying to develop a huge following of people and start this nation is going to require of himself yeah. if this is all fake. That's true. This is something that <laughs> you'd be like, y'all do this, not me. Yeah. God has revealed that everyone but me has it's, to do this. Exactly. That's what we see with psychopaths. So yeah. it's clearly, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So very, very um, deep uh, implications through all, all of that. We could spend a whole series of podcasts on that. But the next scene we come to um, is Abraham sitting by these oaks of Mamre in Hebron, which I think must have been one of his favorite spots because we, we just keep finding them here. Yeah. But um, we see that in the heat of the day, Abraham looks up from this spot that he's at and he sees three men approaching. And this was no mirage because we see that he instantly recognizes them because his instant reaction is to bow face first to the ground um, as if to worship, one mm-hmm. might say. Yeah. Yeah. And this is an it's kind of all odd occurrences because yeah. it's like he's he's out at the side of his tent, which probably is his normal place to chill out during the hot part of the day. But these guys are just walking up to him. And I noticed that something that somebody said is that people didn't typically travel during the heat of the day. That's usually the time that you were kind of trying to find some shade. Yeah. And next thing you know, here come these three individuals, one of whom Abraham is geeking out about. Oh, yeah. You know, and we'll talk about why in a a second here. But it's really just... This is just a fascinating passage. Yeah, it really is. 
Um, Abram says the following. He says, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And it's just, it's, um, we, we, we do find out later on, it seems that, that two of these guys are angels, Mm -hmm. but, um, this reaction of bowing down and worshiping in this reaction that he has, it's telling us, um, who I believe to be Melchizedek or, (laughs) uh, you know, a Christophany, Theophany. I I believe this is a pre-incarnate form of Jesus. Yeah. Who's appearing again to Mm -hmm. Abraham. Very cool. Yeah, when he says, my Lord, he actually uses the word Yahweh. That's right, the proper name of the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. So that that's another thing that we see <laughs> in this portion, which is super, uh, I mean, it's a bend in the road. You're like, wait a minute, he used this word. Yeah. That, that's another big reason to think this was who we say it exactly, is. Exactly, right, yeah. yeah. And I just all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. Yeah. Just showing up with two angels, and they want to uh, communicate with him. And, and Abraham, he's geeking out. Out. I mean, to the point where he starts to roll out the red carpet. Yeah. Because it says that he hurried to Sarah and he's like, make some bread. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's with fine meal. And then he ran to the herd and he took a tender and good calf and he gave it to a young man to, to hasten to prepare it. Yeah. And then he took butter and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by the tree as they ate. Yeah. And I love the verbs. I love that he ran, he bowed, he hurried, he took, and then he he served. Yeah, yeah. And unless it, it didn't get recorded in Scripture for some reason, we as we kind of talked about earlier, we know that it's been at least over 13 years since Abram's last encounter with this Melchizedek, who was worthy of his tithe and now this title, Jehovah. Mm-hmm. So um, very anticipated encounter yeah. that he, no doubt, because, I mean, we know that Abraham was only getting his marching orders from God, and this seems to be just that kind of encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, f- one of the first things that they say is, Hey, where's your wife, Sarah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I could just imagine him patting the tent behind him. She's in there. Yeah. As we say in Texas, she's out yonder in the tent. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, God, because it's uh, in the New King James, it's capitalized, which is so awesome because it's like, and he said, Nice. I will certainly return to you yep. according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. Mm -hmm. And they're just coming and they're saying, Abraham, you're going to have a son. It's reaffirming that promise again. Yeah. And it's clearly weighted to this point so it can show the miraculous aspect yeah. of it. And um, we see that it's Sarah's eavesdropping and, and laughs <laughs> to herself. And, and, it, and the, I, what I read, it, it was all kind of in her head. She was mm-hmm. thinking this. And um, the reason clearly being that she's thinking this. And this is yet another clue with this omnipresent response from their guest who says, why did Sarah just laugh? And I don't think she did it out loud. No. And she obviously she gets scared. Yeah. She's like, I didn't laugh. And he goes, but you did. Yeah. (laughs) To quote scripture exactly. No, but you did laugh. Yeah. (laughs) 
I know. I was reading different people and I was like, oh, is somebody going to talk about how it like got real right there? Yeah. I almost, I almost heard a tone as I read it. Yeah. Just, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, a couple interesting little points on this is that, of course, one author asserted that in verse 11, where it says that Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, meant that she might have already gone through menopause. Mm which this would be yeah. even more miraculous of a pregnancy if that was the case. Yeah, and that that seems right on to me. Yeah, because, I mean, I started thinking about, um, you know, like I said in the last podcast, we were talking about how uh, the further that you got away from Noah, the uh, shorter your lifespan started to be. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like their bodies were aging almost... Um, in terms of biologically like ours would be. Yeah. So maybe he does live to 175 and maybe he feels like he's still strong at that point. But the vigor of making a child might have been gone um, yeah. several decades earlier. Well, who and, and who knows the biological mechanisms that were changing during that yeah. degrading? I mean, who knows? Yeah, it's not it's not something that throws a kink in my gears for sure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> but some people get caught up on that. Yeah, they're like, yeah. well, what oh, if it's scientifically? Yeah. What if yeah. you know? <laughs> well, one commentator said this. He said perhaps also Abraham and Sarah. Need Needed this visit to be an encouragement for them to do what they needed to do in bringing God's promise to pass, to have intimate marital relations, mm. or as I would call it, have a Barry White night. <laughs> <laughs> I see it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and, and you mentioned that with Sarah where she's like, I didn't laugh. And he goes, no, but you did. Yeah. God knows and hears everything we think and say. Chew on that for a hot second. Yeah. He does. Because <laughs> uh, there's portions of scripture that, that talk about not just what we do, but the motives behind what we do. Yeah. And he knows our thoughts. He yeah. knows where we're coming from, the angles that we're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> omnipresent character here. When I was in Bible college, we used to sing the song that said, I have a maker. Mm -hmm. And one of the lines says, he knows my name. He knows my every thought. And there was this one uh, singer who every time they sang that line, yeah. they would do a real quick echo and it would say, and he still loves me. Oh, and nice. I always, I don't know why, but it always just really um, connected with my heart because sometimes the heart is very it's deceitful and you know what is it what does the bible say like ridiculously wicked oh, you yeah. know completely wicked and who can know it yeah and sometimes i think the worst things and and yet god knows those things and he does still love us and so i really um always appreciated that yeah yeah good thing to point out so from this point, we see that Abraham and these guests, they, they get up after they, they've dined um, together. Well, I say dined together. Abraham watched them dine, actually. Yeah. And um, this stuff is, has passed, and they get up, and they're, they're heading off for a walk, we see. Um, chapter 18, verse 17, as Abraham walked with these men towards Sodom, we see that the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So we have uh, a reminder here. God's chosen Abraham to be called out as an example to the world to be holy. And God's showing Abraham a glimpse 
and to his um, will for the world to come. Mm-hmm. And I know I've I read several different angles on on the meaning behind why this was said. Shall I hide from Abraham? Did you run across any of that, Josh? I I did read some of it. I I found it. I don't know. I found mixed responses. I did too. Yeah. So much so that it didn't really matter much to me. Yeah. Um. It it didn't. It seemed to me like God was. He was making more of a statement than asking a question. Exactly. That's what it seemed like to yeah, me. Yeah, it was rhetorical in yeah. a sense. Yeah, it, it's kind of like I hear people say, well, do you believe that the Bible is the literal word of God? Well, I believe it's literal in the spots that it's literal and metaphorical in the spots where it's yeah. metaphorical. And so we, we can come up to these. And we don't have to have a problem when God's asking a rhetorical question. Yeah. Well, so, and I did find this and I thought it was interesting because they talk about like how <laughs> right here... God in talking to Abraham is kind of revealing issues that are going on with Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And they likened it to the person who talks about prayer requests, but gossips through those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they were like, well, this is not that because Abraham is in a moment here going to have a very real conversation about the future of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. And so this wasn't God gossiping. Of course not. But well, yeah. um, could have been God slowly opening the door. So it wasn't such a blow. Yeah. And, and a lot of this, uh, for this passage, they're actually talking about how God is teaching Abraham to be an intercessor Hmm. and uh, actually come and learn how to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah as he might've had a soft heart for their neighbors because the reality is, is that they have been exposed to, um, God through the presence of Abraham around them and possibly Lot, even though not very successfully, but they had um, some sort of interaction with Melchizedek when he uh, was there as they finished that battle. Yeah. The king of Sodom. Yeah. Right there alongside Melchizedek. Yeah. And so you're talking about how Hebron was this hot spot of spiritual activity for the Christian faith, which Mm -hmm. of course it's not the Christian faith yet. It's the faith in Jehovah, but all of a sudden Abraham might've had a real heart saying, even though they're wicked, I don't want to see destruction come upon them. Yeah. Well, and, and it would have been hurtful for Abraham because he had family mm-hmm. there. Yeah. It so, meant a lot to him. Yeah. He didn't want to see that happen, even though he knew there was wickedness there. God yeah. is slowly opening it. By the way, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he's slow, almost slowly letting it in on him. Yeah. The the shoe is dropping slowly. Just it's like, not just. Yeah. Just, yeah. By the way, I'm about to burn the fire out of them. <laughs> Rip a bandaid. Right yeah, off. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Good. Good point. And, um, the next thing God says, um, is that the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah has reached his ear and it's time to go down. And it, this is interesting to see if their wickedness is indeed as bad as the outcry received, mm-hmm. which that's fascinating. It's almost like there could be something that would give a false outcry. Yeah. Something that's something I thought of as I read that. I was like, he, he's coming down to see, and it could be another rhetorical type deal. But. Yeah. Yeah. And that, well, I, I chewed on that for a while too, because I'm like, well, if they're all wicked, then who is crying out? Yeah. The receivers of the wickedness, you know, or, but would the receivers of the wickedness be righteous? I mean, I I wonder if the crying out was a descriptor of, of sin reaching his, um, uh, what's the word attention. Yeah. You know, or creation crying out possibly just like, Oh, this is, this is gnarly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
you think of the vibrations of speaking things into existence that God did. And yeah, uh, there's, we, maybe yeah. we could get, we could get uh, all quantum with this. Well, remember <laughs> Jonah went to go speak against Nineveh and um, God was like, well, I've heard of the atrocities that Nineveh's committed, but I yeah. always thought of the atrocities that they'd committed had been kind of the people that Nineveh were bad to crying out. Yeah. Whereas, there's these crying out moments yeah, in scripture. Yeah. Hmm. Just like the 400-year wait for the Amorites, it's another outcry moment mm-hmm. of waiting for its fullness, you know, all of that. I think it's it's connected. Yeah. Very, very intriguing. But um, it's at a point now where it's got to be dealt with here. Mm-hmm. And Abraham is, he's clearly moved to a request here, knowing that that Lot is there in, in Sodom, and um, it, which is... A, of course, that's sad because he was delivered from that place, mm-hmm. and we see he's back there now. But um, this next scene between the Lord and Abraham is really fascinating to me because we learn some things of God's character, some maybe, maybe nots of Lot's ministry. And at the end of the judgment, I stumbled upon a really cool, deep theological connection to the New Testament that completely wowed me in the study. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Oh, it's it was cool. But um, the, the first one that Abraham asked God um, if he would spare the city if only 50 righteous were found. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that it that came into my mind was the possibility of Abraham being under the impression that Lot's presence in Sodom was able to impact at least that many people. Um, Because that's what people who were called out to be separated do, right? We're supposed to be the light of the world. And I wonder if Abraham was thinking, I know that he chose to live there, but I wonder if he was doing what he was supposed to. And there's maybe at least 50, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, but that's one thing that I, that I saw that was, that I chewed on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, he's sitting there and he's contemplating that number. Yeah. And then he says, but okay, <laughs> what about 45? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes, it goes, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Well, we see, we see that it goes. Uh, do you have any kind of stair step uh, application or anything with these? Because it goes all the way down to 10. No, yeah, we can just go down to 10. Well, I mean, we see that God was willing to spare an entire metropolitan area considering the nearby towns and descriptions for the sake of 10 people. Mm -hmm. And to me, that really speaks of God's mercy. It's really, um, it's really awesome to see that, I I guess is, is just, I I chewed on that for a little bit and it was was an awesome thing to see, but, but from what it it seems, um, it it looks like Lot and his family's presence in Sodom not only had no effect on those around them, but as we're going to see here in a minute, Sodom had more of an effect on their family Mm -hmm. than, than they did Sodom. And I guess if you, if you want to think about it more, that that could either speak to the sinfulness of them or, or the lack of trying from, from Lot. I don't know, but I, I did chew on that. Yeah, and I love the rhetoric that Abraham uses as he's asking God. He's like, I'm just dust and ashes. I don't really deserve to ask you this. And and God's like, I will not destroy it. And he goes, well, it's not my place to speak, but what about if there's 20 and and – I, I just feel like maybe the heart of God, maybe the exterior is really like stone, stone still of just like, okay. But maybe in his, in behind the exterior, maybe God is just chuckling going, okay, I'm growing my son. And he has a heart of mercy and grace for this city. I think you're right. You know, God gives us kids and, and I, me being a parent, I see 
a lot of what I think is happening between me and God with me and my kids. And I, there's those moments where my kids come to me and I can see the gears turning in their head. Yeah. And I do in my head chuckle and I'm like, yeah. look at this, look how they're coming at this. But I'm also pleased with that they're growing and they're yeah. thinking and they're, but yeah, I, I know, I, I know what you're saying. And there. I'm sure in that moment you, you could be stoic versus like letting on that you're happy about this because you're like, okay, they're getting it. And I don't want to break character yeah. and like be like, okay, I'm going to turn this into a silly situation. Yes. I'm watching them figure it out. Well, in, in those moments, yeah, to your point, I know the end result. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm going to say, what's going to happen, but I see moments where I can teach them along the way. I don't just drop them with this is what's happening. Yeah. You know, I, I say, oh, you know what? This is a good teaching moment. Yeah. And so I use those moments with my own kids. And I, I think you're right. That's that very well could be what God's doing with Abraham mm-hmm. there. Good thing to spot. And I'm the guy with kids. <laughs> <laughs> and you spotted it. <laughs> and so they get down to 10. And again, I feel like it's teaching Abraham about intercession, but I also feel like, and I'm probably going to step on your toes here for a second. It talks about God's heart that none should perish, but everyone come to repentance. And you read this verse twice in our last part of second Peter three, nine. And then first Timothy two, four says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And then even just the Romans road, the simplest verse is, uh, 623, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh yeah. And no stepping on my toes, brother. Oh, I, good. Th- that's all there. It's all in God's word. I love it. And, um, this kind of leads us into chapter 19, where we actually see these two angels. They're actually going to enter Sodom now. Yeah. And remember the three guests that were eating with Abraham just a second ago in chapter 18 at the beginning, um, the two men headed down towards Sodom while Abraham talked with the Lord. We're now seeing that they are, in fact, angels, Mm -hmm. these two that have gone into Sodom. And this is where we see the assessment of Sodom bring an obvious answer to why the outcry had reached the ear of God. Um, the first thing we actually see is very familiar. Um, it's, it's pretty cool that Lot sitting at the gate of Sodom when he spots these two angels entering, and he immediately addresses them by bowing face down to the ground, um, likely something he learned from his uncle. Mm-hmm. It's uh, he, he noticed, uh, did he know that they were angels? I don't know, but he at least suspected them to be of more noble character than those they were fixing to greet. And he um, he bows before them and and begs them to come stay with me come come to my house like yeah. like now and they're like no we're gonna go stay in the town square and he was like no get off the streets don't do this yeah. and th- we see they conceded and Lot made dinner and whatnot and uh, we we see the story it gets a bit rated R from mm-hmm. this point on very much so yeah. Um, the men of Sodom come to his doorstep and say, Hey, who are those guys that came in? And, um, we'd like to meet them and we'd like to know them carnally. Yeah. And Lot goes, what? Don't, don't do this. Yeah. This, this is ridiculous. And and he even steps outside of his door to try to talk to them face to face because like you said, he was sitting at the gate, which has an implication that he now might've considered himself an elder of Sodom. 
And I've heard a couple different things and I have a couple different opinions on this, but I almost feel like maybe he felt like he could, as an elder of Sodom, be an influencing factor and almost a salvation to those travelers that come into town because of the way that he was like, come to my house real quick and and I'm going to serve you. And he tried to say, hey, I'm going to wash your feet and do all those things. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you know, here comes this crazy... um, kind of horned up mob. Yeah. And to quote to quote scripture, they say, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have relations with them. Mm-hmm. And just real quick, I want to clarify a few things here. And I almost feel silly bringing this up because of the obvious conclusion and what we're seeing in that statement. But I started to look at some of the more modern scholarly comments on this scene. And I noticed that some have subscribed to an idea that the reason God issued the judgment that he did was because Sodom simply was being unkind to as as in how they greeted. Oh, them. wow. That they were just simply, the, the good thing of that day was to be a little kinder. And I just scratched my head. <laughs> when we read the previous scripture, the most obvious thing about the level of sinfulness that warranted God's extreme judgment was clearly the fact that these men were so lost in their own matrix of pleasure, taboo fetishes, and the culture of acceptance that they created, they actually found it to be normal to gather outside of a house where they spotted fresh meat and wanted to do what doesn't even need to be mentioned to strangers. That's what warranted God's judgment, not that they were unkind. Mm -hmm. And the the reason I mention this is because there's a movement right now that wants to justify some unnatural relationships that they want to become more and more normal until they become this normal. Mm. And so I just I like to speak out as as soon as I see some of that that bad doctrine out there. But um, it's an obviously it's a very rated R scene. Yes. Yeah, and it gets even more depraved. It does. I mean, Lot, he's he's obviously sickened and mm-hmm. ashamed of what's happening at this point, that he's he's willing to do anything possible to, to stop it. Yeah. And, I mean, the best I can think to say about what happened next is to say that he just wasn't in his right mind. Yeah. I, I think, I don't know, um, when he tried to prevent the sinful people from committing what was fixing to happen— I just, from a father's aspect, I know that there's a cultural thing, but even the cultural thing, what happened next, it it makes me, uh, I don't know. It varies. I don't think he was in his right mind. Hmm. I I don't know. What do you think, Josh? Are we going to talk about what happened? I mean, I guess we should. It's in the Bible. Yeah. Um, I I always think about our listeners, you know, if there's some kids listening, (laughs) but we'll we'll try to keep it as as good as we can on on that level. But well. I mean, to the point where this reading this almost makes me want to cry and I don't even have children, but what he offers is he says, Hey, I have two virgin daughters that have never known a man. Let me put them out, uh, versus my, um, guests and you can do whatever you want with them. Yeah. I, to me, his offer is almost worse than the, the men of the city's depravity. I agree in that because I, I don't see because your, your first job is to look out for your flock, your mm-hmm. family. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I don't know. I just I, I think he was almost in a scene. They talk about a battle scene where bullets are flying by and mm-hmm. someone's just not thinking right. And you're just yeah. acting animalistically. And it may, may I don't know. You are outside your mind. Yeah. You're yeah. out your head. Yeah. But um, yeah, very. And the crazy thing is uh, 
guys didn't want that. No. They said, no, get out of our way. I want that man. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's the, oh man, it's so sad. It's so depraved. I'm sorry. I, sh- I get worked up. <laughs> well, and, and what seemingly was a no win situation actually was won by God because these two angels are able to reach out the door, pull Lot in the house, and then shut the door. And the men who were there at the doorway of the house were struck with blindness. Mm -hmm. And you would think that... uh, Do you remember... um, (laughs) Let's take it to a very PG or G level. Yes. Uh, Do you remember uh, the Emperor's New Groove? Mm -hmm. Uh, They work for Yzma. There's these different soldiers. and, And at one point, these potions get thrown at them. And they all turn into different animals. And one guy raises an uh, an, an arm and he goes, uh, I've been turned into an octopus. Can I go home now? <laughs> and she's like, fine, you're dismissed. And uh, I was thinking of that, like this, this horned up crowd. And I keep saying that because this depraved crowd, they turn blind and that doesn't dissuade them at all. They're yeah. like, hey, I can still do my thing if, as long as I find the doorknobs. They're bumbling around just, just, just trying to get so, in this house. So lost in yeah. their sin. Which I feel like not only did God blind them both physically, he might have even blinded them a little bit mentally where they just couldn't figure out where this doorknob or this yeah. this entryway was. Yeah, which is reasonable too, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Pretty crazy. and. The, the angels, they, they pulled Lot back in the house and they said, hey, everyone connected to your family, get them ready because you got to get out of town. God sent us to destroy it. And that's exactly what we're fixing to do. Yeah. Get ready to, you know, gird thy loins. Yeah. There, it, there is not 10 righteous in this city. Yeah. And and Lot instantly tells his sons-in-law, uh, get ready because the city's about to be destroyed. And the, the Bible notes, they actually thought he was just joking. Mm-hmm. They're like, huh, that's a good one. Yeah. And um, then we see that dawn approach. The angels are, are like, get up now. And Lot's actually, he's still hesitant because, you know, God has already determined that Lot's going to be saved. Mm-hmm. But Lot still has this heart of hesitancy, yeah, which is frustrating for the reader. And you just think about <laughs> it. You're like, dude. <laughs> yeah. And OK, I want to mention um, it's not a contradiction, but somebody that's reading could be like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. How can Lot have sons-in-laws and yet have virgin daughters? I I I can see a way. Okay, I, I so can I. No, no, you go, you okay. go. I'm just thinking. so culturally, uh, this was a bound betrothal between these girls and these boys, and so even though they uh, hadn't known each other uh, physically yet, they were bound in marriage. Yeah, that makes total sense. So because I've looked at context of ancient culture, and that that's not a stretch. Yeah. At yeah. all. Joseph was uh, betrothed to Mary, Jesus's mother. Yeah, but same. They, exactly. They, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of uh, examples of that in, throughout the Bible. And, and this yeah. is that exact same case. I just, I was, I wanted to make sure that's what it was. And, I, and yeah. I had that inkling, but I just want anybody that's listening to go, well, how can they have son-in-laws, but they've never actually. Good. Yeah. Good thing to point out. Cause I can see where that, they'd be like, Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, good one. Yeah, and you know, I thought it was so sad that these sons-in-law, they they were blind and sin mm-hmm. blinds you and they thought he was joking. Yeah. But that act of faith that uh these angels were calling him to was like, "Get out." Yeah. Don't you know, you don't need the flat screen TV. Don't put that in the wagon, just go. Yeah. And Lots, you know, in his hesitancy, because God's, you know, he's he's going to be saved. The angels actually seize him by the hand. They actually force him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say, don't even look back, which is important. 
Uh, they say, go to the mountains. And even at this point, Lot's like, he's so wishy-washy. He even begs him, well, not the mountains. <laughs> he's like, let Anything me go, but the mountains. Let me just go to the city that's, that's just far enough away from the destruction. Yeah. You know? And, and the angels at this point, they were like, fine, fine. Just go. be gone. Go, go. Be gone. And... <laughs> The, the small town we see is Zoar, which is um, one of the towns of the five kings that were defeated in chapter 14. Uh, I believe it was King Voldemort, um, <laughs> King of Bella. He shall not be named, remember? <laughs> yeah. So he's King of Bella. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had no name, guys. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's allowed to escape to uh, Zoar. Do you know what Zoar means? We, you mentioned it, didn't you, last time? I don't. I think I mentioned what Bella means. I don't think oh. I, know, I mentioned what Zoar means. What does Zoar mean? Insignificant. Well, and that's what the king was too. Well, that's and what, so's the town. That's what Lot was becoming, and that's what Lot. Yeah. Wow. I mean, a lot of yeah. There's a lot yeah, there in there. Yeah. I mean, having lived in Sodom, no converts, and and you can paint him in a couple of different lights, but. For the fact that he had to be led by the hand out of the city in order to be saved is just heart-wrenching. Yeah. It's gut-wrenching. It is. I don't even know how else to say it other than, dude, where's your mind at this point? Are you are you that debased in your thinking? And, of course, we come to one of the most famous parts because they said, as you're leaving – don't look back. Yeah. And if uh, if you're familiar with the story, you know what happened here. Lot's, his wife, in the escape, she, likely being so tied to her identity in that city, couldn't help but look back against the command, and we see turned into a pillar of salt, mm -hmm. which is a wild thing to think about. But it was, um, she, she. I think there's a lot that could be said about that, that scene, because she's looking back, she's tied to it. She, even in this, like, ninth hour of, this is, you, you've been in this city for this long, it's been too long, this is your last chance type of deal. Mm -hmm. Lot doesn't look back, she does. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I have some really cool stuff that I found on this scene here. Oh, yeah. But, um... And you know what? I'll go ahead and I'll jump into that right now. I have two things that I noticed in this in this portion. Okay. So something that I felt God put on my heart with this scenario was um, 1 Corinthians 3, um, starting in verse 13. You can get more context later, but it says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And what I saw in this scene was the probability that Lot did not make an impact on the people of Sodom. I mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. He seemed to have made bad choices, kept even worse company, Yet we read in Second Peter 2, 7 that God considered Lot a righteous man who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. And we see that Lot's work in the city was indeed burned up while he himself was saved. I just, as I saw that, it clicked in my mind. I was like, Lot was there 
it, it's I, I kind of juggle it with the, the parable of the talents and all of that. Mm-hmm. He was there. He was put there. He was saved, but he was barely saved mm-hmm. because his work, everything he was building on got burned up, yet he himself was saved. Um, am I over-spiritualizing this? Perhaps, but I really did feel that God put that on my heart. And I truly believe that this is one of those amazing nuggets of gold in God's Word that it just speaks to a deeper theological truth. I found it really, really uh, intriguing. So many words. Yeah. But I, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. And okay, so I came at it from just a slightly different direction because I don't feel like what you just said was wrong at all. Cool. I just find um, Peter's... Uh, information that he relays about Lot. Very fascinating because you've always heard that term righteous Lot. And yeah. I, I looked up that uh, passage. It's in Second um, Peter 2 and, and I'll give it a, a few extra verses just to understand what it's saying because in starting in verse 4 he says for if God did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah a preacher of righteousness and seven others if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly and if he rescued lot a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard and then it goes on if that is so and i just yeah i'm like wow that is such a wild description of lot especially considering the way that that genesis portrays him Versus the way that Peter understood his plight. Yeah, I can totally see both angles, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that because the way Peter brings it up. But then, like you said, in Genesis, the, there's almost there's there's what Abraham chose and what Lot chose. Yeah. There's a distinction made that one was more righteous than the other, it seemed. Yeah. And so I wonder if it wasn't a little bit of both in the same. Yeah. And, and OK, did maybe... Did Lot choose Sodom because it was appealing to him and to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? Yeah. Or did he choose it as a mission field and then slowly it started to influence him? It very well could have been I mean, either. Yeah. I, I, and I could see it too. I could see that it started off a little unrighteous. Mm-hmm. And then he, as he was there, regretted the decision, but he was there. They had already established roots and then he became disgusted. Yeah. Or switch those mm-hmm. you know it started out righteous he got there and then it started to influence either yeah. way i could see it being yeah. both in the same yeah but yeah that's that's a lot to chew on for even our own lives i think mm-hmm. as i read that yeah and the sad thing is what's to come is yes. even to me more of a, a sad situation <laughs> yeah uh, than what's already transpired before we get there one more thing okay i wanted to to lay out here um Genesis 10:19 tells us that the cities nearby Sodom and Gomorrah um included Adma and Zeboim. And then Genesis 19:22 tells us the name of the city um God spared Lot in was Zoar. And a man named Ron Wyatt discovered all five cities that the Bible mentioned between the years 1989 and 1995. And he discovered that every one of the cities, with the exception of Zoar, was destroyed by flaming sulfur. Hmm. And this blows my mind even more because there was powdered sulfur balls that littered the ashy landscape. 
And I know that some debate the the location of Sodom and Gomorrah, but it, it's a done deal for me because it goes on further. A certain Mr. Dutton, who's a chemist that frequently worked with sulfur, actually tested these sulfur balls. And the following quote by Ted Stewart says this about the discovery. Mr. Dutton informed me that he frequently works with sulfur, but had never seen a ball of sulfur, of powdered sulfur, laying out on the ground. He said that sulfur is found underneath the earth in crystallized form. They drill down to the sulfur strata, liquefy it, and pump it out of the ground and let it dry. He said that during his lifetime, he has never heard of powdered balls of sulfur lying on the ground anywhere in the world. And the test revealed, uh, he actually tested one of these sulfur balls, and it came back 96.14% pure sulfur. And I found that just super yeah, wow. intriguing and amazing. Yeah, I just wanted to share that with everybody because you always talk about the story, but I always love to throw the <laughs> some of the stuff that's been discovered in with it. Do the facts line up and yeah, some, support sometimes it. they they're buried beneath the sand, but mm-hmm. but man, that's cool. When I thought, oh yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So anyway, that's um, that's Sodom and Gomorrah, guys. You you've been familiar with the story, likely. Yeah. But um, we have them destroyed, and we now see that Lot was, um, he's too afraid to even stay at the town he requested. <laughs> he stays in a nearby cave. <laughs> Which <laughs> is weird. He said, not the mountains, let me go to Zoar. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like, did he, did he get uh, fed up with the inhabitants, or did the inhabitants get fed up with him? I don't know. Maybe they knew who he was, and they were like, not in our town. Yeah, or like, they're like, you're the curse, you know? Yeah. Going, you shouldn't be here, dude. We saw where you just came from. Yeah. And um, as strange as it may sound to us, it seems that the, the taboo culture of Sodom had influenced Lot's daughters to the point where they actually considered, in a very animalistic way, that there were no more men in the region because of the destruction. So they made the decision to take matters into their own hands by getting Lot so drunk two nights in a row Mm -hmm. that um, he doesn't even realize that he's fathering the children of his own daughters. Yeah. And uh, yet another just super dysfunctional scene. Yeah. And I mean, first and foremost, when they were in Zoar, did they not see any men whatsoever there? I don't know. Because of this supposition that they had that, well, we're the last people on earth and the apocalypse has come. So we must continue on our lineage by having relations with our father. Just debased, weird thinking, completely out of the box, like... Okay. Clearly from Sodom. Yes. Clearly from the pit of hell. Yeah. And then for Lot to be able to, in a sense, be not seduced, but um, driven to drink as much as he would have to, to not have any knowledge of this interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know, I mean, times were stressful. (laughs) Man needed a drink, I guess. But but man, that's, that is, that is drunk. Well, and I wanted to point out, because you were talking about um, God brought judgment on Sodom because they were not nice to strangers. Yeah. God brought judgment on Sodom because of their wicked ways. Because it turned people into his daughters, like yes. that type of thinking. Yeah. Not, not saying they're bad, you know, but that, that thinking was. No, and, and just as evil as sodomy is, so is incest. Yes. And God looked down on it and look at the result of it. Out of these two babies that are born from his daughters are Ammon and Moab. Yeah. And one means son of my relative, kindred or inbred. And the other ones means progeny of the father. I mean, again, they kind of named them as close as they could with 
the uh, the idea of what had happened with the origin yeah. of these kids. They're like, I want to remember this event. Let's name the kids. A very squirrely, whacked out thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very weird. And and I just, I, I don't. In this case, this is not the place where I want to be a fly on the wall. I just would like to have seen the result of what Lot thought going. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to be a fly on the wall either. No, no, I don't want to be there to see this at all. I just, yeah. I wonder what Lot thought when he woke up and had the realization of where did you guys get those baby bumps and a sense yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, very dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on the plus side, we we've, we've got some comedy ahead to relieve us of this uh this boggy awkward, awkward topic. <laughs> that, that my voice sounded <laughs> awkward right there. <laughs> but um it's highly comical in the sense of palmed face because the wild thing is we have all this time um that's passed and all of this faith and wisdom and dependence on God and we would assume that the ways of Abram's youth, Abraham's youth, would not revisit him in his wiser years. Mm-hmm. But we know that we are but men or human, and we struggle in certain areas. And if we do, um, we're likely always going to be tempted in those areas. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we take the bait, sometimes we don't. And in this next scene, Abraham takes the bait, boy does he, and reverts back to an old way of doing business, doesn't he? He does. And yeah, it's wild because you're like, okay, he's growing as the father of our faith. Yeah. And then you hit chapter 20 and you go, okay, we're all human. Yeah. We're all sinners. We take steps back. And this was a real step back. It was. And the start of chapter 20 of Genesis, we see that Abraham is taken to travel to and fro across the Negev. And it comes to a place called uh, Gerar or Gerar. I called it Gerar. Gerar. And this is, uh, we, we come to an old familiar scene, don't we, Josh? Yeah. Um, he looks to Sarah and he says, babe, this looks like the type of town where you could be strictly my sister again. <laughs> <laughs> really? We're doing this again. Yep. Put the mask on, sister wife. Oh, man. Yeah. He, he pulls another hardcore slipping Jimmy on a certain King Abimelech here. Uh, yeah. 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 King of Gerar. And all of a sudden he's like, hey, who's this beautiful woman traveling with you? And Abraham says, that's my sister. And the guy says, well, I'd like to make her my wife. Yeah. And he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, God sees this one a mile away. Of course he does. He gives old King Abimelech a dream in which he tells him, and I quote, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken for she is married. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm thinking, I mean, think of the scene. He, was, he wakes up. He's like, wait, what? what? What's going on here? I did nothing. I use one of my favorite words right here. Um, excuse me. <laughs> because nice. he goes, I am a man of innocence and integrity. How is this? How is this happening? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a almost a comical scene. It really is. And um Clearly terrified, Abimelech asked God to spare him and his people from any retaliation because he hadn't even touched Sarah yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, same idea, married, 
taken as a wife yet not touched. Yeah, kind of like Pharaoh yeah. earlier. Because, or the daughters. And, yeah. And this has already happened. This is oh yeah. This yeah. scenario. Yeah, you were talking about um Lot's daughters yeah, yeah, yeah. having sons in laws and yet not yeah. having relations yet. But exactly. This has already happened. This is part two of you are my sister. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> How is that happening? One one thing I thought of here was the fact that because I think of God saying that to him, you're a dead man. Mm. And the fact that God is a just God and this guy didn't know and all of that. And one thing I thought of is God is protecting the literal bloodline of which the Messiah would be born. Mm-hmm. Um, here, Abraham keeps offering up the avenue, also known as his wife, to pagan genetics. And it's obviously, this is just a random thought, but seriously, God is protecting this most pure bloodline, and it seems that Abram is very out of touch with why this continued behavior is grievous threat to God's will. Mm-hmm. And it's just, he's flippantly treating this precious wife of his, which is the avenue of the Messiah, you know, eventually. And I just, I, it's something I thought about because, you know, you think about God saying that to him, and he, he's protective of this. Yeah. And he's also treading on the faith. Of yeah. Jehovah and the name of Jehovah as he's going around parading this like yeah. half truth. And, and I know yeah. we've talked about this a lot, but in oh, this yeah. scenario, yeah. I mean, it's like, dude. Well, I consider it the exact same scenario as the previous one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's not right. Yeah. Why don't you represent yourself rightly? And why don't you trust God to protect you in a foreign land? This is done, and we'll see with Abraham's response here, but it's done in doubt and fear, yes. not trusting in God. Yeah. And uh, he he responds with, um, and this is paraphrased, well, by technicality, she really is my sister, and I, I thought you might kill me to have her. And we always agreed anyway that we would do this from our youth, so <laughs> it just kind of happened. Yeah. <laughs> and Abimelech's like, fool, for crying out loud. Yeah. Man, grab sheep, oxen, and servants. <laughs> so let's get this done with. <laughs> well, isn't it sad that Abram now again has to get rebuked by a heathen king? It is. It is sad. Yeah. I mean, because we have to represent if we're going to walk in this world righteously. And for me, this is the Josh translation. Why, brother, would you do this to me? Yeah. Or the New Living Translation says, what whatever possessed you to do such a thing? And if um, you look at Abraham's response, Abraham says three different things. He says, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. So he's blaming it on the place and Mm -hmm. he's blaming it on the fact that they don't know God. Yeah. And then he says, and they will kill me on the account of my wife. And so he's blaming it on his wife and his circumstances. And then he says, but indeed she truly is my sister. She's the daughter of my father. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, you should tell everybody you're my sister. Yeah. And that last one was the Lord made me to wander. And the word that he used there, um, according to Donald Barnhouse, he said, this is the worst use of the verb wander that Abraham could use. The Hebrew word occurs exactly 50 times in scripture and never in a good sense. It is used of animals going astray, of a drunk man reeling or staggering, of a sinful seduction, of a prophet's lies causing the people to err, of a path of a lying heart. Six other words are translated wander, any of which Abraham might have used, but he still used the worst one available. Because right then, now he's blaming God because he's like, when God caused me to wander like a drunk guy, yeah, I, I, dude, take responsibility for your actions. 
Yeah, I agree. But he's all, all I heard and all that you were saying just now is his excuses, excuses. Yeah. Not taking responsibility. Yeah. Just pointing fingers here, 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 not taking responsibility for his his premeditated his whole life. Exactly. And and you know, this is almost a relief to me because there's times in my life that I look at myself and I say, I should be a growing more than this. I should have grown more than this. Mm. When this approached me, I should have acted this way. And it, it almost a doubting of salvation to see someone like Abraham, who is at this wise, should be wise part of his life, acting in some of these ways. It gives me hope knowing that not that it's okay to act like that, but that God is still going to be there for you, even though you still might have to pay for the you know repercussions yeah. for the actions. But knowing that um, that God leaves it in Scripture so that we can know His faithfulness. There's still the struggles of our walks, yes. and, and we're not perfected until we are perfected. Exactly, and, yeah. and just not to lie to ourselves and, and point fingers and not take responsibility. Yeah. Can I uh, read this to you? This is what Barnhouse says Abraham yeah. should have said. And I just, I feel like, man, it's a sad thing that this part isn't in scripture because he says, this is what Abraham should have said. Forgive me, Abimelech, for dishonoring both you and my God. My selfish cowardice overwhelmed me. And I denied my God by fearing that he who called me could not take care of me. He is not as your gods of wood and stone. He is the God of glory. He is the living God, the creator, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. He told me that he would be my shield and my exceedingly great reward, the supplier of all my needs. And in sinning against him, I have sinned against you. Forgive me, O Abimelech. Mm. And I just, I, again, we talk about how we appreciate that Abraham sinned, but I also love prayers of repentance. And I feel like, man, if he had said this, it would have been awesome. And, yeah. and hindsight is always twenty twenty. I just, um, I feel like for me, I'm going to take that into my own heart, especially as I move forward and I sin. And just when you sin, confess. Yeah. When somebody calls you on the carpet, especially when you're like, oh, that was a bonehead move. Yeah. Don't go, I didn't know, or blame somebody else. Just say, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, cause even Didn't mean it. Yeah, exactly. My mom always used to say, uh, sorry, people quit doing it. <laughs> yeah. And blame <laughs> shifting is just the worst. Yeah. I mean, and this is the second time he's <laughs> yeah, done it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But Abimelech was the more holy and the more righteous in this, uh, transaction here. He certainly acted like it. Yeah. Cause I love what he says next. Cause he looks at Sarah and I, and the new living translation puts it in air quotes. Cause he's like, I am giving your brother a thousand, <laughs> a thousand pieces of silver to compensate you for any wrong I may have done against you. Yeah. This will settle any claim against me and your reputation will be clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, we see that Abraham, oh, well, Abimelech also, he says, he gives him permission to settle anywhere in the land. Yeah. Um, it's almost, uh, it's not even a get out of my land. I never want to see you again. It's, Let's make peace here. You can even settle in the best portion of my land. Yeah. Which that's, like you said, he's acting much more righteous. Well, and you said he pulled a slipping Jimmy earlier, <laughs> which I believe is a reference to Better Call Saul. <laughs> yep. But this move feels like a con artist yeah. uh, move or a scheme because in some way or shape or form, every time he comes out of one of these, he comes out wealthier. It's almost like a form of biblical extortion. Yeah, that's because, true. <laughs> because as he leaves, the guys are like, just Go, I'll pay you to leave. I, I don't want whatever it is you're selling because God was going to judge me. He was he was going to wreck shop on my city just because you didn't tell the truth. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And um, because God had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech, Abraham then, after they, they settle this, he prays for him so that that gets fixed. Too. Yeah. And they're like, well, <laughs> now we can actually continue our society. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that influenced some of the holy acting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a trip, huh? Yeah, pretty wild. Wow. Well, Snakebirds, we had an intention of continuing, and we had actually studied for more, but <laughs> yeah. we realized that, again, we're already at an hour and 25 minutes, and we don't want to make these episodes so long that they become taxing. And so we're going to go on and end this right here and plan to come back next week with another part of Abraham. It's it's what happens when you take on a huge profile like this. You just get multiple parts. It is. It really is. And thanks for hanging on with us so far. I hope you're enjoying the story. I hope you're taking a lot out of it. I hope that um, God is working in your heart as he has ours, as we've studied for yes. this. And so uh, that's always our, our prayer and hope that, that this is making an impact and, and we can have fun at the same time yeah. and, and whatnot. So uh, thanks for hanging on with us, guys. And, and remember, if you find it in your heart to share, like, or subscribe, or leave us a review, anything like that helps push the show out there, and we would appreciate it. Yes, and we pray that the pages of Scripture are coming alive as you listen to this. And we're going to bring you a ton of application next time as we... Um, I don't think... I don't know if we'll conclude or not. So yeah. I don't want to paint ourselves into a corner by saying, it's going to be the end next time. We'll yeah. just come back and find out. True. And you know, I was, I, I was planning on having an application for this one, but we landed in a spot that's half understood from what we've gone over and still yet to come. So yeah. we're just going to save that for the next one. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, if you can, um, send us a message, connect with us, let us know what you're going through. Um, if you're walking this Christian life and you're struggling, or if you're going through this COVID season or whatever it is, we would like to stand with you and uh, hear your voice. So message us on Facebook or send us an email. That email is connect at basnakebird.com. And we want to walk with you in this as a community. We don't want to just be two talking heads yeah. uh, in your ears. We want to actually surround you with prayer and support and all of those things. So please reach out. Well said. So always remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus and be a, a snake, snake bird. And just like a woman to argue with God. <laughs> I wanted you caught to... me off guard. That is, that's great. You can't edit that out, brother. We have to. It's too good. We have to edit that no. out. And it comes to a place called uh, Gerar or Gerar. I called it Gerar. Gerar. And Gerar. Gerar. <laughs> oh my. You got to edit that out. I sounded like a teenage girl. <laughs>